0: Welcome to the Vision for the Valley podcast. I am your host, Joseph Velarde. In this podcast, we will discover the gym that is the Lehigh Valley and learn from people from all walks of life. Well, we're so glad to have you here with us for another episode of the Vision for the Valley podcast. I'm so excited to have my good friends who I've known since 2012, Tom and Beth Ann Miller. And we all, all often affectionately talk about Miller Tom with them. They're big uh, Steelers fans. <laughs> yeah, boy, boy. So don't hold that against them if you're listening <laughs> to this and you're not a Steelers fan. Um, and they started a ministry called Safe Place Ministry, and I wanted to give them a chance to share a little bit about that and also for us to just learn and to hear about what Safe Place is all about, how we can get connected into that, but also what's involved in what they do. And just wanted to give you guys a chance to hear this conversation and just what they have to say about things like compassion fatigue and and how that all plays out in our life. So Tom Bethan, tell us a little bit about yourself and Safe Place Ministry. Well, uh we came
1: to the valley in 2012. Um we were actually living in New York for about uh, a year and a half, almost 2 years after we got married in 2010 and we kind of had similar backgrounds. Uh we had been through some things in our lives. Personally, we were both adults, you know, we were well established in our lives. We did a lot of things, traveled a lot. Um as a matter of fact, we met on the mission field. Um and we kind of had the same heart, and part of that heart is we wanted to see people um, not have the same identical experience that we had, but we wanted to see God uh, be able to faithfully meet people in the needs of their lives. I think that was one of the, the heart cries of, uh, you know, that we, we had and we have.
2: Yeah, so Tom is a marriage and family therapist practicing here at an outpatient clinic in the Valley. Uh, he's an elder here at River Bend Church. This is our home turf, uh, which we love, and the people in it. And I'm a biblical counselor and a licensed chaplain. And what happened as Tom and I were serving the Lord independently and then together as married, folks started coming to us saying, Hey, I need a, no pun intended, a safe place to talk. Hmm. And we kept hearing that and hearing that, and we're big believers in use what God puts in your hand already. Like, don't stretch so far out to figure out what's his call and vision for my life. Usually, it's whatever he's given you. It's there already. You might need to learn to handle it or sharpen it through education or training, but usually the gifting that he gives is there. Mm. Um, And we noticed what was in our hands as counselors, as folks that, you know, wanted to help others go through difficult situations so we began uh opening ourselves up to talk to people particularly in ministry that Mm -hmm. were going through really rough things in missions or ministry and just like ourselves we had bumps in the road we got woundings during it and disappointment some of our own doing some of just circumstances um in life um and that's going to happen you know jesus promises in this life you will have trouble it's not something It's not one of those magnetic things we put on the back of our car as one of God's promises, but it's true. Hmm. So Safe Place got started to help folks walk through some of the messiness of ministry, of life, of marriage, um, of their own self as they journey through this life.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and I was going to ask you guys, when did it officially start Safe Place? Uh, And I know it's probably been a work in progress. So you may not have like... This was the
2: date. No, we (laughs) don't have the exact date. um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) We plant the flag. (laughs) That
2: would be kind of weird. But about 2013, we really felt like we we needed to establish it as something. And as years went on, we kind of went into it and backed off and went into it and backed off. But just let it be there um, until two years ago when we really felt this was time to really fully invest in this and launch it full
1: on. Yep. We felt called into it um, almost full time. Beth Ann, this is what Beth Ann does full time. Uh, myself, I work just just about full time in an outpatient clinic uh, where I do counseling with individuals and families. But I also counsel uh, with Safe Place. Um, but we had seen a lot of our friends that we had known on the mission field who were kind of having different uh, experiences and and coming through some of the things about expectations of family members, expectations of sending churches, expectations of, you know, just between married couples and and some of the hardships and some of the challenges that that brings when you're in a developing world nation, um, on top of that, and then you're trying to raise a family. So, um, you know, we, we kind of put people in ministry on a pedestal. We kind of look at them as, oh, I want to be like them. Yeah. You know, I know I, I certainly have. And we think, like, they've got it all together. God really talks to them. He must really hear the Lord. You know, we think all these things. But we don't really know or we're not aware of really the struggles that they face uh, individually. They're just like us. There's absolutely no difference. And we're so Grateful and blessed that uh, people were willing to share their struggles with us. Mm-hmm. They're willing to share those mm-hmm. things, and we, you know, through our own experiences and through God's faithfulness, we got to share some of um, some of how He can work and can help to resolve some of those uh, things that they find themselves challenged with.
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, one of my biggest disillusionments in ministry was I was in the nation of the Gambia, which is a, a it's the smallest nation in, in Africa. And I was living in an unreached people group um, in a mud hut, sleeping on a bamboo mat. And I had a good friend of mine named Diane. She was a nurse sleeping next to me. And uh, we did it. We reached the proverbial missionary experience, right? No electricity. <sighs> there's creatures around. We're in a mud hut. This is it. There, you know, it, it's um, only verbal language so nothing's written yet um and the most disillusioning part to me was i still woke up with myself hmm. meaning i didn't change just because of the environment <laughs> that i was in yeah. i didn't become some super spiritual being i still dealt with my bad attitude <laughs> no i was just myself and i was struggling with the heat and i was annoyed that i didn't had to go walk and get water you know for a mile to the well and um some other challenges that were faced during that so to give people space To be fully human Mm -hmm. as God created them, as they serve others. Mm. We don't become superheroes. You guys know that as pastors, right? The expectations that are on anybody in ministry, like Tom said, people think you have this direct line to the Lord all the time. It's not true. We struggle, right? And Paul tells us that in the scriptures, he exhorts us, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. Mm. In other words, we all go through that. Mm. So to, to open doors to let people be able to speak in a valuing way, in a respectful way, in a way that... Um, honors they can, the
0: individual. Yeah, it
2: honors the individual and gives room for that God-designed humanity.
0: Yeah. And as I think back to my time of walking with you guys from initially meeting you in 2012 and then just this journey, it's been incredible to watch... Uh, what's happened with Safe Place. But not only what's happened with Safe Place, but just how God's used Safe Place in my family's life. Uh, My family has greatly benefited uh, from having a safe place. And I know we talked about no (laughs) pun intended. But literally, you know, it is hard to find places where you can actually share the struggle, the pain, and know how to process that. You know, there's a lot of things that happen in... A very short amount of time Mm -hmm. um in in our 20s and 30s my wife and i um where you know amy lost her father and that was just a really painful time uh when that happened and and not knowing how to grieve that properly And, and i know that amy uh went to seek you guys uh for grief counseling and and just what a gift that was for her and we had struggled to get pregnant uh for many years but after she was done going through grief counseling Um, she became pregnant and I I believe there was a correlation. I believe that uh, a place for her to actually process that a safe place to say, Hey, I'm a pastor's wife, even though I'm my own person. And we at Riverbend don't treat uh, the the wives of of the pastors in a way that says uh, everything your your husband does, you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't we let them be their own person. But at the same time, there is some, some real pressures and, and some challenges uh, with doing that that not a lot of people know about, and to, for her to find safety there and, and yeah. vulnerability and even to work through several other uh, situations in our family's story and journey that have been very challenging and you don 't really n- understand uh, what is going to happen in your own life, but you have been so good to walk with us and to help us work through the pain and to see that pain become a gift that it's not something that God works around. It's something that God works through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, right. and I think that you guys have done such a great job at helping uh, us, but also helping other leaders to do that, whether that's in the, the church world or the business world or, or hospitals. Like, I've just watched you guys uh, do that because I think a lot of times there's not a place to really share these things. And, and, and when you've been burned so many times because you're trying to share your own story and that expectation so high, you start to really live from a place of stuffing things mm-hmm. or hiding things and not really being able to be a person who, in a healthy way, addresses the the drama, the trauma, right. the pain of life. And then on the other side of that, too, I think you guys have just been a real asset to me as I seek counsel about uh, things regarding the ministry here and, and my leadership here. And man, it's just been such a gift. I literally was on the phone this week <laughs> with Beth Ann and walking through some just different things that were coming my way, and to know that both Tom and Beth Ann are speaking into those dynamics that not everybody can understand, not everybody can get, uh, but to provide um, counsel wisdom encouragement through that has been such a gift to me and my family, so we're big fans of the Millers <laughs> Miller time all the time for us we're, we're grateful. For you guys, so as you think about that, I wanted to ask you guys, Joe. If I can interrupt maybe, yeah, you, sure. I just want to
1: say that alongside you know what we do, obviously, um, like I said, it's it's not just you uh, whatever you want to call it, education or whatever, uh, or being led by God. Um, it, it's also our own experience, and part of that experience is lived out in community. That's right. And what you're talking about is not just from us, but from others. You know, I, I would, I would push back a little bit on what you said and said, and just say that part of what you did is you walked out in community. Yeah. What you went through, mm-hmm. you and Amy and others too. Um, Riverbend is huge on community. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons why we love it here, is because it's unlike many churches that we've been to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a place where people are free to be themselves. I feel like that's that's kind of the norm here, um, but they're also encouraged to walk alongside others. You know, I know Chris um, has started a men's group years ago that started small and it has grown to the point where it's kind of exploded. Where there's uh, two now a month, and and guys are constantly meeting with each other to encourage one another. It's a very uh, real. Reflection of how we're supposed to do life and encourage one another. Mm-hmm. We love what we do, but we also encourage others to do the same, yeah. and we think that's that is well within their their power mm-hmm. to do so. Uh, I think that's what God calls calls us all to do: is yeah. walk in community with each other. That is a place of health.
0: Well, and I think yeah, and I think to your point, I think community. Uh, I think what you said is spot on. I would say. Uh, while that's very true, and not to push back when you're pushed back, <laughs> uh, but to say, I think there's a, a certain point though where community um, is it can it can help, and you need to always stay in community. So I want to be very clear what I'm saying. But then there's a, a certain skill level and gift mix, like grief counseling, that a lot of people didn't have, mm. and even uh, debriefing and even. Uh, uh, times that are, are longer for people to work through a lot of yeah. the joys and the pains in the process. That So I agree with your yeah. statement on community, but I think it has to um, come in combination. And, and not everybody's going to be there, but I do think uh, there are times in life, and I, I, w- I would say even for leaders where we do need a space to not only share the painful parts, because that's part of it, but even when there's a lot of joyous transitions A lot of times when we talk about transitions that are joyous, we put them almost in a sense of like, hey, that means all good things are with that. And, yeah, there are a lot of good things, but change is change. Mm -hmm. And change, you know, you got to talk about just like, you know, when we had our son Ray, you know, like, man, we were so happy. Well, boy, did it change our life! It changed <laughs> sure. our life big time, and you know, and it's still changing our lives.
2: And that's a big thing for leaders: transitional stress and all that that comes along with that. Either growth brings transitional mm-hmm. stress, you know, a new season of life, uh, new we, a new location, a new location. Yeah, you're taking on bigger spheres of responsibility. All of that comes with transitional stress, and learning how to identify it, how to navigate it, be prepared for it. Yeah. Give yourself space to walk through it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's really good. I was yeah. going to ask you, so what services do you provide? I know we kind of touched on them a little bit in, a, in a varied ways, but I wanted just to help those who are listening to this yeah, to know like some tangible things that you guys provide for yeah what you so do.
2: this isn't just us we have a team right now of six uh folks serving alongside us that are that could stand on their own mm-hmm. <laughs> in their own definition most are professional counselors um or professional social workers trained so we offer debriefings which is um It's a three to four day journey with folks where they would come and stay at a retreat center and we would have an intensive time of walking them through a process. If we want to look at it from a scriptural point of view, we could look at Jesus in in the book of Luke on the Emmaus Road as the disciple journey. But they were confused because all these things happened and it didn't work out the way that they thought it was going to. And as they talked, they didn't realize it was Christ himself walking next to him and he was able to as they walked show them things and that's what happens during a time of debriefing is the individual couple or family has a chance to really walk through a reflective process of mm. saying hey what is this last season that we just went through our life whether that's mid-service end of service beginning of service because you're you're walking getting on ready to, right? right or getting ready to you're walking into yet another transition And to give them space to walk through a process of highs and lows, identification of things they've learned inside themselves, possible areas of wounding, Hmm. um, areas that they need to pay attention for themselves, what they've learned about God, themselves, and others, and various other things during a time of debrief. And Hmm. it's it's really a time where people can exhale. Hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a little word in uh, the Psalms that just says Selah, hmm. and people pronounce it differently. And, you know, some say we don't really understand exactly what it means. But the, one of the best definitions I've heard is pause and think. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So good. And we don't have enough opportunities to do that in our day to day world. Um, You know, even for those people who are in ministry, who are gearing up, who are trying to get everything set, who are trying to be organized, you know, you have to have this meeting, that meeting, you have to just even logistically going into a new nation and learning the culture, uh, let alone if you have a family that you're moving to that new culture. There are some high intense uh, needs. So to be able to come away to a completely separate and quiet place, be able to reflect be able to kind of, um, absorb what the Lord is saying and has said to me, but also even to absorb things like what am, what, a, what is my body saying to me right now? Hmm. What is my spirit saying to me right now? Um, what are some of the struggles and some of the, the pitfalls that I've seen, but I haven't had time to address hmm. the things that, that could, um, we know from personal experience that could turn around and eventually eat my lunch, yeah. you yeah. know, or my family's lunch. Um, so we're, we're trying to give the person a chance to pause and think and to contemplate. Um, you know, again, I don't think that's done enough in our society where we really take a chance to consider what God is saying or consider that we ourselves are important to him.
2: Yeah, there's a whole train of thought, which I feel is wrong. Or erroneous uh, scriptural perspective of we want God to use us, or so we're being used by God. But if we back up from that and we think anyone that has children, would you ever intentionally use your child to achieve some cosmic purpose that you have? No. And if we operate by the thought that God's using us, we take no responsibility for ourselves. Hmm. But instead, he invites us to partnership with him in extending the kingdom. And that gives us permission to have choices. That gives us permission to seek his heart for what's the next thing to do. It's not just a blatant command from him that we're partnering with him. And it changes how we handle ourselves and others in the scope of high human need. Mm -hmm. So along with these um, few-day debriefs, we also do what's called critical incident stress debriefs and these are very specific usually two hours at a shot and this is a this is a procedural process where you walk ems workers police um if someone went through a tragedy in their life robberies um violence sickness that has changed the trajectory of their life car accidents um, murder murder yeah um we're getting ready to go to jamaica to, to teach the fire brigade um to train them actually how to do critical incident stress debriefs. Hmm. Um, So that's another service we offer. And along with that, we do personal retreats, which is different than than the debriefs. We'll arrange it for you and tailor it to you to what you need. Um, And then also we do training on a a wide scope of things, children in crisis training, um, understanding, compassion fatigue, and burnout, that those two words are becoming... Really clear in our society right now, which I think is important because it's not just within the realm of Christian service. This Mm -hmm. is this is all around the board, you Mm -hmm. know, where people experience the nonstop nature of pressure on every side of their personhood and they hit a place where they're susceptible to many things. But then also to where they're not functioning anymore well, and they keep going and going and going until they do hit some proverbial wall, right. and usually there's pretty profound consequences that comes with that. Hmm. So we've started working with hospice centers uh, in the valley um, as they do that fantastic gift of journey alongside individuals and families um, as their loved one is passing, hmm. and the weight that that puts on them as caregivers. Um, and as well with uh, business owners and different areas in the valley.
0: And I would say, too, as as you think about where you're at as you're hearing this this podcast and your own personal journey, I do think it's important that you take stock and inventory and to ask yourself the question, you know, where am I at? What am I, as Tom's asked so well and said so well, about what, what am I feeling? What's my body telling me? You know, what, what are my emotional responses right now? What's my stress level? What are the transitions I've walked through? I think the compound effect of life, one of the things that I don't think gets talked about often enough mm-hmm. is the compound effect. So when transitions, will, whether bad or good, happen one after the other, that produces stress within us. And if we're not able to process that and to work through that, and that's why I think these debriefs are really Powerful times, whether that you you know whatever type of debrief you choose, and then along with these trainings, which really do serve as a way to not only help you as a leader, but to help leadership teams, mm-hmm. you know to help uh, people to be fully equipped uh, to really help others to walk alongside others as well. Yeah. And you and you you mentioned Beth Ann. One of the things that's happening right now in our culture, and we talked often about this, uh, uh, compassion fatigue. So can you explain? what compassion fatigue is and and what are you seeing just with that taking place in in different people as well?
2: I think the easiest way to explain compassion fatigue is that you operate at a level for, for a good long amount of time without margin, without any space, without any buffers. And then you hit a point where you can't operate at that level anymore. And it causes ripple effects down. Sometimes it's health that's affected. Sometimes it's our emotion. We're body, soul, and spirit. Mm -hmm. So all of us is connected as a whole person. So compassion fatigue will hit the entire person. Um, It affects relationships because you begin pulling back. You almost enter a survival mode. And if you stay in that fight, flight, or freeze mode for long enough... It can cause a lot of physical, actual physical problems, but it causes a ton of emotional and relational and spiritual because we can become very disillusioned with God um, because things weren't happening the way we anticipated them to, or why did he let this happen? Um, Sometimes
1: we don't know how we got there. We have, Uh, Just the nature of what we have to do. Um, You know, you encounter people sometimes that have been caretakers for their elderly parents. Or for their kids, um, that special might have needs, a, a, kids a, or, yeah. yeah special yep. needs and such, and they have, like Ann said, they have given and given and given at such a constant level, and everybody applauds and everybody says, "Great job!" Oh, that kid or that adult is so lucky to have you. But the individual who does it very often, they operate alone. Right. Hmm. They operate at such a at such a pace, and it might be part of their their gifting and who they are as a person to do so. But they operate at such a level that they literally burn themselves out. So some of the ways that you can know that you're experiencing compassion fatigue is you might uh, just have a general sense of meh. You know, everything is is just like straight line, like flat line. There's nothing that's too high or too exciting. There's nothing that's too low or too, you know, depressing. Um, you're just coasting along.
2: You can also start to get angry with others and yep. you can't figure out why mm-hmm. um small conversations get, get really irritating because again it's the slow bankruptcy right. Mm-hmm. of it's the great, body, right, soul, yeah. and spirit. It's this slow, like, you think of a monopoly game. You're just constantly giving away this currency, emotional and relational and physical currency.
1: Until you have And
2: then you realize zero. It's, it's gone. You're bankrupt. <laughs> and at that point, and we want to help identify that in people before they reach that point, right. because that point comes with a whole other level of things that can happen that can be quite dangerous for someone and really then change the trajectory of, of marriages, of... Ministry, um, so many different things. So, again, it's giving ourselves permission to be made in God's image and He rested. And if we are really image bearers of Him, then our humanity in design is good and it's godly. And I think in some Christian teachings, we've confused the desires of the flesh and our humanity they're not two of the same things one is sin-based right one is reflected in god's image and made in his image so to give space for that and learn uh there's a fantastic book called the body keeps the score Hmm. and it talks all about how all these things including in myself and tom we're not immune to any of this we go through you guys know us well (laughs) enough to watch that happen um our body, soul and spirit, will identify these areas where, hey, we're, we're slowly going bankrupt here. Mm. Mm. So to restore that back and then help people make decisions of, okay, so I can't, I'm not immune to this. Anyone that's in service to another person in any way, shape, or form is going to experience this at some point. But how do we mitigate the da- damage? How do we limit um, this constant hemorrhaging? Yeah.
1: What do we, what do we change and what structures can we put in place that can maybe call others into help right? or that can help that person who's going through it speak for themselves? So others know that there's a need, you know, there's the whole culture of the family that if something's done for literally decades in a family and one person changes, the others don't just, okay, let's go, let's do this. Because there's a pattern of sometimes 10, 20, 30 years of doing something a certain way. So it takes more than just that individual um, to kind of gain a new way of thinking, a new way of performing, a new way of doing, a new way of, of really considering themselves and protecting themselves even at times.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, as, as we've talked about compassion fatigue, uh, a couple of things that I think are, are really important for us to consider Bethany said it so well about withdrawing what we don't have. So I think it's easy, just like we do financially, live off credit cards. Mm-hmm. But, credit, yeah. but credit cards aren't really the money we have. It's it's putting on right. someone else's credit. And, and a lot of times what we do is we emotionally do that. Right? Right. Are, that's right. But our credit cards are maxed out right. we don't have. Right. <laughs> yeah. right. Like we spend right. what we really don't have. And right. really our being with Jesus is to lead to our doing. Yeah. And so when you look at the, the work and the person of Jesus, and, and no matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not, we can learn so much about how he actually practiced what Tom and are talking about. When you read through Matthew 14, you see so clearly he hears news that his cousin, one of his best friends, is beheaded, John the Baptist. And the very first thing he does is he withdraws. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it really gives you the sense that he withdraws to, to really take care of himself before mm-hmm. the father. Mm-hmm. And it goes from that to, it says he's filled with compassion for the crowds. Yeah. So he doesn't go from a place of being depleted and then Ham hey, would have compassion for the crowd. No, I'm filled mm-hmm. again by the father. I'm mm-hmm. doing what the father's asking mm-hmm. me to do. And I'm going to then do this miracle, mm-hmm. heal these people. Mm-hmm. And then he feeds the 5,000, mm-hmm. you know, with these five loaves and these two fishes. And there's like baskets left over. But then it says he sends the disciples on, Mm-hmm after that and then he withdraws again to pray yeah. and then he goes walks on the water and this incredible yeah. uh, d- you know display of his power is, sh- is shown and seen and peter is sinking as he's trying to walk on water and and really i think it's just a powerful picture for us if we're going to take care of ourselves to model in the jesus way because jesus again when he hears news about john he withdraws and he prays he tends to his soul but then he has compassion to give but then after that miracle He withdraws again, and he sends the disciples on. And then he has even compassion for them and is able to walk with them. But he's not doing what so many of us do, which is to go from thing to thing to thing to thing thing to thing to thing. And then act like, man, why do not I have anything to give?
1: (laughs) A lot of the times the disciples were probably like, where are you going? Or where's Jesus? Where'd he go? Because they were expecting that kind of performance out of him.
2: And there is a the thought we train people how to treat us. Mm-hmm. So if we're training others that we're available twenty four seven that any need you have, you yeah. know, I'm here to meet that, that's how people are gonna treat us. And that is not a Christ centered model mm-hmm. of living life and or ministry. Yeah. He did as you're as you're saying, Joe, he did set boundaries. He lived in what we would call these rhythms of rest mm-hmm. where He engaged with folks and then he pulled away. He engaged and pulled away, but the pulling away wasn't survival or I got to get out of Dodge. (laughs) And we all need to do that sometimes, but it was to connect with the father, to be re-energized and then to go back. Mm -hmm. So he had a very natural pattern of the withdrawal engagement, withdrawal and engagement. Somehow that's gotten muddled Mm -hmm. in life and ministry to our withdrawal is a vacation which is fantastic. We love them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going on one in July. But with that said, you know, you guys know if we go on vacation, let's say if it's a week, Monday, Tuesday, you're just coming down Wednesday, you finally reach that place of being okay. And then your body starts responding, mm-hmm. hyping itself back up because you're going back, right? We can't sustain that. So there has to be this, this normal everyday Rhythm of life and rest And service to others Um, One of the things that One of the things that we like to do With folks to really bring this To life for them is We'll give them Monopoly money and we'll say Hey you have a week we're going to give them A certain amount of money here you have a thousand Dollars in Monopoly money Every bit of relational and emotional Currency you spend you're going to have to Choose how much you're going to give out And that's all you have for everything work Family children play and most people are astounded Mm -hmm. at how much emotional currency or relational currency they spend like this on one argument or one drama that they could have walked away from to to highlight to them okay you do have control over this you can choose what you're going to give
1: yourself to Mm -hmm. And as wonderful as we are, as fearfully and wonderfully as we're made, we do not have an endless supply That's of right. emotional energy. That's right. God just, just has not
0: gifted us that way. And I would say, as you're considering what they're talking about, I think it's really important that we grow in what's referred to as um, self-knowledge. And it's understanding the so person important. the person we we are that God sees not just the person we project or the people what people see in us but to walk with him to do what Thomas Merton says so well the divine spark that we we allow ourselves to be the person that we're intended to be and created right. to be but it, it comes with that um you know giving as Beth Ann talked about so well so well and then withdrawing right like hey these you know I'm serving uh, then I'm withdrawing those rhythms, and a lot of times they're Pitted against each other, so a lot of times you're going to hear people go to one side or the other of those extremes. But actually, Jesus' way is to do both. Mm-hmm. He, he does he does both, and he he lives from that place. Unfortunately, though, we can pick one or the other. But again, if we're going to walk and join Jesus in what he has for us, we're intended to do both. And I think really what happens when we choose to just keep giving, though. Is this compassion fatigue takes over? And not only does it take over, but one of the things I I learned even as I was talking to you guys about this is that a lot of people then turn to some form of of coping that is destructive and unhealthy. And I know that you have touched on this before, but things like in the helping profession, you know, that the helping profession has produced, you know, a lot of people who have addictions and people who really battle with things like alcoholism and And even suicide has been like a high high rate in in those areas. Can you just speak to that a little bit of kind of like what happens and and take shape yeah. once- I, I think the it's part of what we 've been talking about. I think the
1: expectation within even the the culture of being a helper or the helps culture um, you know our field is called uh, the helps field because right. we literally want to help people we want to walk alongside alongside people but the the culture has been so long that you don't you okay oh, yeah, you're you're in this field you're in this industry you go help people and that can be pastoral that can be counselors that can be firemen that can be all kinds of different people that people that serve people and you're in this culture and you're expected to give and give and give and perform and perform and perform and there's really not Currently, there's not a whole lot of room for, you know, for exhaling, for those times and those seasons of rest. Not just like Bethan said, a vacation, but a season of rest. Um, And and Jesus modeled that perfectly. I mean, what he did back and forth, back and forth, and people didn't really understand what he was doing. But that was the perfect model of, okay, my, my soul needs rest. My soul needs to go before the father. Mm. My soul needs to pay attention to itself. Um, Part of what we do uh, with critical incident stress debriefs and with um, uh, some of the other services that we perform is we give give honor and respect Mm -hmm. to the individual. And in our culture, even in our helps culture, which seems contradictory, and it is, we don't really honor the caregiver, mm. or honor the counselor, or mm. honor the person. Um, we teach. We try to teach that to others, but we don't always do it for ourselves. Yeah. And there's this expectation of giving and giving and giving and giving. Um, we make no bones about. Uh, look, we're in a time of rest. We're in a season of rest. Mm. Whether it's daily, it's a day, or whether it's a week, or whether it's whatever. You know, we we have. Through hardship, through much hardship, I think we have learned um, that it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no because I'm paying attention to my needs. I'm paying attention to what I need as a person. You know, there's this whole thing, this whole uh, hormone in our body called cortisol, and it's a stress hormone. And when we go through a very tough situation, that cortisol rises and rises and rises and it, it enables us to deal with whatever situation is at hand. Well, when you're on the road to burnout and experiencing compassion fatigue, that cortisol is up constantly at such a level it that your brain stuck. your brain uh, acclimates to that level and you stay at that level of, okay, it, it's fight or flight. It's, it's the... The, the fear reaction, really. And that's what Beth Ann was saying about vacation. You know, it takes two or three days just to come down. And that's, that's where we find ourselves often, not just within the helps field, but uh, other individuals that we talk to as well, just in regular society, because we have so many demands and blaring things constantly, whether it's media, whether it's family expectations, job expectations, spousal expectations. And like you said, Joe, we just keep going. We just keep going.
2: So to have the understanding of self, you know, Matthew Mm twenty-two, love the Lord your God and love others as yourself. There's the three-part commandment Mm -hmm. there. And if we leave off any one of those parts, we're out of bounds in it and erroneous. Self and others. others. Mm -hmm. So to learn ourself and how we function Mm -hmm. well with others, to learn our limitations, and actually be comfortable with them right to say it is okay that i have limitations not only is it okay it's god ordained Mm -hmm. and those limitations sometimes when we state our limitations people get disappointed sometimes offended quite frankly if their expectations are unrealistic Mm -hmm. um people can get offended with tom and i or disappointed, and that's okay, and that's a lesson that I've had to learn in my life. I I genuinely love people, um, so I don't like when someone's disappointed with me. I have grown exponentially in that. To that used to derail me back in my twenties. If I felt like someone was disappointed in me, particularly someone in leadership, that would just nail me down. Um, thank the Lord, quite frankly, that I have grown out of that place of immaturity because that's what it was, right. Mm. So to gain the comfort of yourself to Mm -hmm. say, okay, these are my limitations. And to know when we need to point someone in another direction, you know, in the helps field, people do this all the time. Doctors refer on, counselors refer on, we refer on, you know, when, when the need is beyond what we're able to meet. So we're not meeting safe place. Tom and I, our staff is not meeting every need that's presented to us. Mm. We can't. Mm. And not only we can't, we won't, is a better way to say that.
1: Even within those people that we do see and we do spend time with, we
0: don't meet every need. We not Because can. we weren't meant to. Right. Well, and I think even as you, you think about the idea of the power of no, our no is as powerful as our yes. Yeah. Right? Right. I think a lot of times we don't recognize that. Yeah. Because when we say no, we're actually freeing ourselves uh, to be open. To actually saying yes to something that's not just good but best, and that's usually what a yes and no is deciding between Mm -hmm. good and best. Mm -hmm. And I think also, as as I consider what you guys were talking about, even limitations, I think sometimes we forget that limitations aren't saying of ourselves um, that there's something wrong with us. Actually, it's saying exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It's to understand the gift of our limitations and to understand that. We're wired up certain ways. Uh, we've been given certain gifts and certain resources. And I, I think sometimes when we try to overtake our limitations versus mm-hmm. letting our limitations be the gift that they're intended right. to be and receiving them. That's right. Then we miss out on becoming who we're intended to be. But we mm-hmm. also hinder others. Right. Yeah. We but, steal
2: from others. We, we hinder others. could yeah. happen. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And,
0: I, and I think even leaders as, who are listening to this, I, I really encourage you to consider... You know, what where, where are your limitations? And not just leaders, just wherever you are, you know, whatever your position is, what are your limitations and how are you managing mm-hmm. uh, those limitations? And I think being okay with being misunderstood. And That's a tough one. And yes. it's, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. man, if
2: you are a leader, fasten your seatbelt because you're going to have that. Time and time and time again, where people are going to misunderstand you. And that's where you have to have the assurity in yourself in what what your father is saying. Mm-hmm. And to it's okay if someone misunderstands you. It is okay. Yeah. You don't have to freak out and go fix it and, wait, let me, are we okay? It's okay if someone yeah. misunderstands you. It's okay.
0: And just, just even for a frame of reference, just know that they also misunderstood Jesus. There are a lot of people who misunderstood of Jesus course. again and again and again. And I just want you to know that if you're misunderstood and you're following what it is that God's intended you you're to in do, great you're in great company <laughs> and, and he sees and he understands. Yeah. I have to tell myself that often. Yeah. Hey, when I feel misunderstood yep. and that doesn't mean that they're not areas for growth potentially, but oftentimes it is just because I'm seeing something that others can't see that God's right. showing or right. revealing. Right. And I have to be okay right. with being misunderstood, right. knowing that he understands and that his approval and his good pleasure and love and delight upon my life is actually all I need, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's reinforced by people that I'm sharing my life with and mm-hmm. the community that I'm involved in. But I think to get to the place that we can hear him say that to us also needs to not only take place, but we need to get to the comfortable with our, in our own skin to recognize, hey, in order for me to receive his love, I have to know that he says of me these things, that I'm his, right. You know that he rejoices over me. And I think to love others as we love ourselves, oftentimes a real challenge for some of us, and the reason why we can't love people well is because we don't have a healthy view of ourselves. We don't love ourselves in light of what God says of us and has for us. And whenever you don't love yourself, you can't really love people well. And I'm not talking about narcissism. I'm talking about just a genuine (laughs) understanding of the fact that you're an image bearer of God. Because oftentimes we project that which we believe about ourselves on others. Right.
2: And again, we can't live, we can't stay in that place of bankruptcy, body, soul, and spirit in ourselves. right? We're not going to be able to live well out of that place if that's where we set up tent.
0: So good. So good. Well, I wanted to ask you guys, where can people connect with you, learn more about Safe Place and really even anything else that you may want to talk about or share about Safe Place? And I know we've hit on a lot of different things, but how can people find you guys?
2: We are on the web. Our website is safeplaceministry.org, and the same with our Facebook page. And you can contact us there. It shows you, points you right along how to yeah. get in contact with us, and one of our staff or myself will get in touch with you. Um, yeah, it's just a pleasure to walk alongside people in the valley, regionally, and mm-hmm. then globally. It's That's a joy right. for us.
0: That's right. Well, it's such a joy to be able to walk with you guys. We're so thankful for you, uh, the people you are, and the work of Safe Place and how God's using it. And we continue uh, to just not only rejoice in it, but can't wait to see what continues to happen, what unfolds as a result of just the faithfulness uh, that you guys have displayed and, and that's led to already fruitfulness, but continues uh, to to multiply in just ways that I don't think we would have imagined when we started talking no. talking yeah. about this several years <laughs> no, ago Joe. But it's, it's been but it's been incredible but thank you guys so much for taking the time to sure. be on the our pleasure, vision dude. for the valley podcast we love you guys we love you guys and too and we're celebrating again all that he's doing
2: thank you so much
0: Thanks for joining us for the Vision for the Valley podcast. We'd love to connect with you and to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Vision for the Valley podcast, or you can email us at Vision at gmail.com.